0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Columbia recording artist, Bob Dylan.
1: My a hell of a
2: pain. Look like tomorrow
3: To Never Ending Stories, a podcast about Bob Dylan and the Never Ending Tour. I'm Ian. I'm Evan. And I'm Steve. And here we are again, folks. The show is July 22nd, 2000. We're in the 21st century now. At the Tweeter Center for the Performing Arts in Mansfield, Massachusetts, the players are Bob Dylan on the vocals and the guitar, Charlie Sexton on the electric guitar, Larry Campbell on the mandolin, the pedal steel, and the electric slide guitar. David Kemper on the drums and Tony Garnier on the bass once again. Do we have the weather, Evan? You
4: don't need a weatherman. You just need to look online for the historic weather records of any town or city in a given day. And so in Mansfield, Massachusetts, we have a balmy day. It's 89, that's the high. And it's a low of 72, I believe. But so it doesn't go very low. You know, it stays in this sort of upper register of uh, warmth. Pretty hot day.
0: Beautiful summer night. I was uh, reading on Bob Links, uh, people who were there posting reviews, and apparently the sun was going down during Bob's set, and the band was facing the sunset. Fantastic. So it was a beautiful view for the band. I like to think that that inspired. What we're going to be talking about today, because I'm not sure what you guys think of the show. I think it's pretty incredible. Of course, I'm the one who picked it, so I'm biased. A little biased. Uh, Should I explain why I picked this show? Yeah, please give it to us. So if you were to ask me before we started NeverEnding Stories, what comes to mind when someone says the NeverEnding Tour, it was this era for me. Mm. 99 to like 2002, that's when I saw Bob the most. Uh, It's also, I think, a fairly common opinion that this is the best never-ending tour era. And if it's (laughs) not a common opinion, it's my opinion. Uh, You got, (laughs) as you said, got Larry Campbell, Charlie Sexton, incredible guitar duo, and we'll get into this as we talk about the show, they they bring more than just their guitars. Uh, I think mm. them mm-hmm. as backing vocalists are, it, it, it's it's such a great addition to this era of Dylan. Yes. Some of my favorite moments uh, of this show and other shows I saw in this era come from just the vocal support that those two guys bring. Soulful as hell, Charlie Sexton and, and Larry Campbell. Um, why we why i picked this particular show because i imagine we're going to be doing a lot of 2000 shows over the run of neverending stories because it is really one of the greatest years of the neverending tour hmm. could have picked any number of shows from 2000 i picked this one it was somewhat random because it's related to our bonus episode this week which will only be available to our paying customers on patreon the show that we're doing as our bonus episode, which is not a Bob Dylan show, it's by someone else. Can we call it the Joker Man universe? Absolutely. They're in the Joker Man universe. It's on the same day mm-hmm. as this show, July 22nd, 2000. Truly a, uh, a blessed day. <laughs>
4: do you want to spoil who it is? I mean, it might encourage some people to pay up and pony up for the...
3: Uh, what is it? What tier do you get to have the, uh, the next the bonus episode? Is it a special... That's the Friends of Charlie. But it's, you know, it's, people will be encouraged to uh, pony up when, when it comes out. It 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 was just a few... It was a scant few hundred miles down the eastern seaboard of the United States. This was in Massachusetts. Our bonus show took place in Virginia in yes. 2000. If any detectives want to get on the case out there.
0: The, uh, the bonus episode artist, in many ways, you could say is... Very different from Bob Dylan, but as we will discuss in that episode, there's also some links. Heavily indebted. Mm. Yes, but that's for the bonus episode. I was also interested in this show because it was part of a tour that Bob did in the summer of 2000, a co-headlining tour with Phil Lesch, Uh, bass player of The Grateful Dead, famous crank, famous uh, liver donation uh, activist. <laughs> uh, Co- a co-headlining tour with with Phil, and it's interesting just thinking about Bob in the jam scene. You know, he's not of the jam scene, but he is a satellite of that scene. Going back at least to his involvement with The Grateful Dead in the 80s, although you could say that just him being like an icon of the 60s makes him part of that, but... it. It's interesting just thinking about Bob and Phil being in the same context. We're not going to be talking about the Phil Lesh set in this episode. Uh I I am writing about that show. I wish that we kind of could Okay. Well, we well, can. I, I, I just want
4: to hear maybe some some thoughts on Phil Lesh. Did you guys uh, listen to no, it? I haven't gotten a yet, but I, <laughs> I mean even for my own curiosity and I'm sure that of the listeners like what what was Phil Lesh uh what do you make of that dynamic of the fact that they're playing together at this era and like what was phil Lesh doing at this point how was he seen by the greater uh grateful dead community and so forth
0: well phil famously has not participated in most of the like post grateful dead bands you know he he was at the fairly well concerts in 2015 but then you have dead and co that spins off immediately after Fairly Well. It's kind of funny. It's leshless. Yes, it's, Phil is the only one not involved uh, of the surviving uh, Grateful Dead. They, they, there was this term that was made up called the core four <laughs> to describe, uh, you know, the, well, I guess it, th- that was like the, the marketing of the, uh, of the Fairly Well concerts. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I was thinking about Phil What he does and how it's related somewhat to, again, our bonus episode, Mystery Artist, where you have a person, like he's playing old Grateful Dead songs, but he's doing it with like a band of ringers, you know, just bringing in hot shots. Hired guns. From the jam world. Yeah. Uh, And it is almost like a orchestra, like approach to the music you know mm. uh, we're we're, we're going to uh, approach this like a like we're playing uh Mahler songs or beethoven you know but sure. like it's uh we're going to get the best musicians involved um i really like the phil set i think it's really cool I, I and there were instances i think on this tour where phil and bob played together a little bit i think cuz they originally toured in 99 and then they did this tour in the summer And I think generally, because it was a co-headlining tour, but I think Bob played first. So he's not described as the opener, and he's doing like a full set. But uh, Phil, I think, was probably the bigger draw at this point. Just because of the the Grateful Dead. You know, because this venue that they're playing here, it's about 20,000. I think that's about the size of what they were doing. And, you know, Bob... For the most part, like, he's not playing those size of venues, you know? Right. He's doing theaters. And the Grateful Dead, I mean, they play stadiums. So, I mean, they're they're a huge draw. So, I suspect that even more musically speaking, this made financial sense to tour mm. with Phil. Um, Phil is... And there's, like, enough of a crossover that you could... It would make sense to people to want to buy the ticket.
4: He seems kind of like the least... Uh, sexy of all the members of the of the Grateful Dead in a way. I mean, he is the great bass player of the
3: band. You got but the like, hots for Bob Weir. I
4: mean, who doesn't look at him, his little <laughs> legs and so forth. But I I, li- I read that book um about like uh, the whole post era, like all the different groups that happened after. Uh, and it's such a nightmare. And Phil Lesh he comes off so ho- horribly in it. Um, he and his wife are like uh, holy terrors to everybody. But everybody's at each other's throats. I think that book's just called Fairly Thee Well. Yeah. It's, um, it's a hoot. Uh, and I guess this was maybe a moment of uh, relative peace for Phil Lesh, uh, just playing with Bob Dylan and having a nice time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Phil, he definitely has the, uh, again, like I said, with love, he's, he's the crank of the band.
4: Wasn't he the one whose vote... Uh, kicked Bob out of joining the Grateful Dead it was up to him or you, you, you right. thought it was
0: well yeah there was uh back in the 80s there was uh Bob allegedly wanted to join the Grateful Dead and everyone was down for it and I don't know if it was I think Phil I think it's been confirmed that Phil was the one Phil Lesh was the one to... that didn't let him in. Yeah, it had to be unanimous, and he was the one wow. to say. And the thing about that, because I was gonna say earlier, because I was saying he's the crank of the band, but at the same time, uh there's an integrity to Phil Lesh. Sure. I, I, I think that of like the surviving members, he's looked at as like the second in command to Jerry, even more than Bob. Really? Like Bob is great, but I think Phil has a certain authority, and there's like a lot of people, you know, like when people talk about the De- Dead Co versus Phil and Friends, Dead Co is obviously the more successful of the Grateful Dead offshoots, but you do get the, the people I think who look at Phil and Friends as having a little more maybe integrity doing you know a little more adventurous is dead and co looked at
3: as like sort of like a sellout operation by certain segments of the the dead fan base because i'm completely ignorant of this whole thing but like bringing in the whole john mayer aspect like are they just like
0: sort of corny to some folks i mean there's some of that a lot of it is just (laughs) most of the complaints are are just about the songs being played too slow Mm. you know and and that and i don't look i don't know if there's 36 from the vault listeners in the audience here i don't want to relitigate the whole like does dead and co play too slow Because that <laughs> is a never ending argument and i'm not saying they play i like dead and co i enjoyed the, the the shows i saw i thought it was a lot of fun um but uh yeah that's a whole other can of worms <laughs> yeah <that's laughs> we could
4: talk about this stuff forever but i did want to just touch on it because it seems relevant
3: it's, it is just kind of fascinating to me that Bob would agree to do a co-headlining tour like this, and especially one where I guess he—I didn't realize he wasn't even the last player of the night. Like, it was—he it, was not looked at necessarily as an opener for Phil Lesh, but, like, he—Bob, to me, seems like, especially in these later days, someone who wants, like, he's the star of the show. Like, all the attention is on him. There aren't any openers for any of the shows that he plays anymore— uh, it's just, you get there, you sit down, the lights go down, the trumpets start up, and then he walks out on stage. Uh, and so to hear this, uh, you know, at, at this moment in time, he's playing with Phil Lesh, he's, you know, doing this tour with him and, and taking the stage before him. It's uh, It seems like he must have been in a different kind of state of mind at that time. Well,
4: maybe you're onto well, something yeah. about his irreverence for Phil Lesh and for Jerry, by extension, you know, like if Phil is kind of the, the man left standing in Jerry's stead in some way, then... This opportunity coming up maybe was colored by that.
0: Well, yeah. it should be noted that the year before this tour, he did the co-headlining uh, tour with Paul Simon. That was the <laughs> first time that I saw Bob right. Dylan was 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 the Paul Simon tour. You saw one of the you saw the Simon show with Bob. That was my first Dylan show. It was wow. in ninety nine in Duluth. It was a Paul Simon Bob Dylan co-headlining thing, and I think at that show they would switch off (laughs) and Simon opened and then there was like a little middle set where they played together and then Dylan closed, but and you know, he was playing his hometown. I'm sure that was part of the rationale for him closing that show. Certainly like in this era, he was doing this and I think again, it makes financial sense because he's playing way bigger venues and I'm sure making, well, he is making way more money doing this, right? Because you know, like the like when I saw Dylan and Simon together, he was playing a this outdoor park. There's probably you know twenty thousand people there. I don't think he would have drawn that on his own.
4: Makes sense. And Paul Simon might have needed him too, because I'm just looking at what Paul Simon's album in 1997, which was the most recent uh, up to that point was the lowest charting of his career. It's a record called Songs from the Cape
0: Man. Yeah, that was the musical. Never heard it.
2: (laughs) I
1: was born in Puerto Rico. We came here when I was a child.
0: And then somewhere around there, he made his Brian Eno record. Paul Simon, the the album Surprise. Mm. That one is good. Yeah, with the baby on the cover. It's outrageous.
1: It's outrageous to line your pockets off the misery of the poor. Outrageous the crime some human beings must endure. It's a blessing to wash your face in the summer soles to strain. It's outrageous a man like me stand here and complain. But I'm tired. 900 sit-ups a
0: day. Um, That song. I was just thinking about other co-headlining things. I mean, he did the... uh the Americanorama uh, right. tour in like early 2010s where he was the headliner, but you know, you had Wilco in my morning jacket. Actually another co-headlining show. This is when I saw, I think it was early 2010s was Kim and Willie Nelson. Right. Which, which was really fun. I think he did. Um,
3: Didn't he do some co-headlining or at least like a joint tour sort of thing with Mavis Staples also, like mid-2000s or mid-2010s? I think like 2015, 2016, something like that, like around the the Coachella era, the desert trip era. Um, uh, There's a great picture of two of them at
0: least. I will take your word for that. Yeah, well, maybe we'll get to it. I, I do not know that. So at any rate, Bob doing the summer tour with Phil you can go online, you can read about the parking lot scene <laughs> that was going on at these shows. I love
3: the idea of a shakedown
0: street outside of a Bob Dylan show. Oh yeah. And from what I read, A Little Subdued on July twenty second. <laughs> uh but that's always in the eye of the beholder. One funny thing about this show, and maybe we'll get into it, is the you can hear a lot of audience chatter mm-hmm. on this uh on this tape. Uh the like the first song. There's a guy looking for his looking wife. Looking for his wife. <laughs> uh, hopefully he found her. Uh, hopefully he's not still wandering around Tweeter Center trying to find the missus. Uh, again, from some of the reviews I read on Bob Links, there was uh, a fair amount of like sit-down chatter mm-hmm. in the audience, which you tend to get with a lot of these shows with an older audience. You get people who are upset because people are standing and then you get arguments about, you know, <laughs> sit down, you know, like that kind of thing. Uh, I remember I was once at a Crosby Stills in Nash concert, and two gray ponytails almost came to blows. Oh, boy. Because there was one guy standing, and he was in front of me, and the guy behind me was, like, just screaming at this guy <laughs> to sit down. And it was like, he's grooving out to wooden ships, man. Like, just... <laughs> So I I don't I didn't hear any of that on the tape. I didn't hear any sit down battles.
4: No, you just hear the sound um, of the great ponytails whipping at each other. Uh <laughs> if you if you listen closely enough.
3: There is one point where I don't know if it's the guy who's looking for his wife, but it's towards the end of the show, uh it's in between one of the last couple songs and he's like the guy's like taking stock of the entire crowd, and he's talking about like you got your deadheads over here, you got your NASCAR guys over here, you got your Dylan fans right there. It it sounds like, judging literally from the crowd talk, you can hear on the boot, like it was a pretty interesting uh, <laughs> collision of worlds at this particular show in suburban Massachusetts. I think right, like this is just, this isn't like outside of Boston or anything. It's sort of like in well, the
0: middle of the state or something. It's about 30 miles uh, uh, south of Boston. Okay. So um, I imagine that, and this is going to be my East Coast ignorance is going to be coming out here, but I imagine that there's not a ton of amphitheaters in Boston proper. you got to right. like leave town to have this kind of venue. Um, I want to go back to something I said earlier about this being, in my mind, the definitive never-ending tour band. And I'll go further and I'll say, aside from the superstar bands he's played with, you know, the Hawks, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Grateful Dead, let's just set them aside Mm. because it's something different. I think this is my favorite band that he's ever played with. And I'm curious, like, do you guys have an opinion on this at all?
3: I think that you're right about that. I mean, I think this is, I, I totally agree, this is like the definitive version of the NeverEnding Tour Band, um, and, and I think this is like the beginning of the definitive period, like to, to me, to my mind, it's like 2000 to 2002, just that run right before and then right after Love and Theft, um, that is kind of like the one that's held up, um, uh, not held up uh, as in nothing else is as good as that anymore, but like held up above everything else as like this is everything that this band was capable of and and um, uh, what this whole project was about. Um, I think, you know, listening to more tapes, obviously, and, and digging further back into the past, especially, you know, I feel like we've been pretty 90s heavy to start this show. Um, you know, my appreciation for a lot of those bands is skyrocketing uh, as as high as it already was. Um, but I think if you're going to like take take little steps into the pool of uh, Bob Dylan Never Ending Tour material, like this is the cleanest, easiest place to enter because the band just sounds amazing. You don't have a ton of um, you know crazy wacky choices like to. I don't know about you guys, but I had a hard time even picking anything out for the Budokan moment on this one. Um, there aren't a ton of long extended jammy kind of material. It, you're getting hits from all over the catalog. It's just like a really satisfying era of the performances that I think can kind of like um, hit the middle of the Venn diagram uh, that consists of so many different other circles and different preferences on the extremes, on the edges, like this band kind of satisfies as much as you possibly can uh, with one, one show, one, one set of players. The mandolin has a very
4: strong presence in this show in particular. And it just reminds me, I don't know, there's something about the mandolin that is just like, It's not even. It's not just dad rock. It's like it's something more than that. But it it is related. It feels like the getting into playing mandolin and also kind of jamming bluesy stuff at the same time is just like such a a pure expression of a certain kind of middle aged male music. Sort of a blessed little spot that they fully inhabit here. (laughs) The mandolin is just kind of something that you get into, and you're like, uh, you know. Yeah, I'll jam on the mandolin and it just like has, has a neutral but very uh uplifting quality. Maybe I'm just uh sort of spinning my wheels here, but I think it kind of defines this uh this version, this iteration of, of this band. It's uh, this kind of like uh easy, breezy, casual feeling that uh I I think uh gives a, a feeling of confidence uh, and and ease to the proceedings
3: I mean they certainly do sound confident and at ease with one another like it, i I think at this point like these guys were able to just like close their eyes, close their ears even, and just like know with telepathic mind melds like where they needed to go, where everyone else around them would be at in any given moment. This sounds uh, of the shows we've done so far, I think this band is like the tightest, most compact, most just like you you know every single moment of every one of these songs the harmonies too they're hitting it yeah the harmonies
4: they're great i guess what i'm saying is just the mandolin i think is this like cohesive uh fixture in this uh show it's the glue yeah it really does kind of like hold these things together and it makes the songs feel fresh in a way but also kind of brings them back to a feeling of being a it's a kind of an archaic thing to have it's like putting a filter on the photo it's like sepia it's it's nice
0: See, I I think you brought up Dead Rock because there's two Basement Tape songs in this. Set, sure, it was like <laughs> it's a callback to that. If I can play Devil's Advocate with my own argument here, please, there is something to be said about like that mid '90s period where you had JJ uh, Jackson playing really supercharged type solos, and we it, it, we've like you said, we've dwelled in the '90s, and I, I'll go back to that '92 show we talked about. There's there's a uh, a craziness to that show that this era doesn't have. This era is very consistent. So if you are approaching it from a more of a Joker Men mindset standpoint, (laughs) you could dock this era for not having crazy moments like that. Cause it just seems like this band was so locked in and they were so consistent. Um, And I'm sympathetic to that perspective, even though, again, I, I think this is like my favorite never ending tour era. Um, but, uh, another thing that should be said, and we'll get into this when we talk about the show is that this set list I think is unbelievable. Not only cause we're getting songs that were actually common in 2000, but like in no other year, like there's a couple songs here that he played a bunch in 2000, but he hasn't played it since. Um, but there's no rainy day women in this set and not to spoil one of our categories, but there's no watchtower in this set. Uh That's right so well, we're you not did, getting you did spoil it i did <laughs> <laughs> i did literally but you know we're not getting the songs that you want to skip usually when you when you're listening to a show it's like okay i don't There's need one watch tower game yeah there is one that... maybe
4: you don't feel the mm-hmm. same way but well
0: i think i know what song you're talking about and i've got an interesting thing to say about that. If, if we're on the same wavelength with... I think we are. Because there's, there's one song that is like a stock song that he plays a lot in right. this set. But... Uh, and I was initially dismissive of it. And then I noticed something about it that, that drew me in. So that'll be fun to talk about. So anyway, this is a great show. I imagine we're going to go back to 2000 again at some point. Most definitely. Because there are... Better regarded shows than this one. This is kind of like a below the radar pick, but I I love this show, and I think uh it just shows how deep two thousand is that you could just pick a show from the summer tour, maybe even any show, and just be like, "This is great."
4: Yeah, sometimes Joker and mindset isn't about being crazy;
0: it's about being um being at ease. That's true. We've that that's been a recurring theme. By the way, I should say. Rob Mitchum, who I know is listening, he agreed with you guys uh, from the last episode about most likely you'll go your way and I'll go mine. Hell yeah. So, vindicated. There it is. So it's three to one. I'm, 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 I'm way outvoted. But, You're off the island, Stephen. But I believe, Evan, you described that as like watching a horse in a <laughs> yeah. pasture or something yeah, like that. Yeah,
4: the naturalistic approach to it, to seeing uh, something done simply. Yeah. The wabi sabi bobby.
0: Well, we're getting a lot of that, a lot of horse watching in this set. So it's going to be fun to talk about. Hell yeah. So we have our categories here. I'm curious what you guys are going to call out for in the in the o mercy category. You know, we we've struggled in the O mercy category, and I know mm. I I've stretched at times they have something to say in there and that's when i end up saying things that i sort of regret. Mm. So we'll see if that <laughs> happens again in this episode. But let's go uh to our first category here right away. The pretty good, pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. What do we like? There's so much to like.
3: All of it. I'll I'll start off with which is something you already brought up Evan, the harmonies, which is a completely unique note uh, for this show, compared to the ones that we've talked about so far, Larry and Charlie—I think those are the the two that are uh, responsible for this—are uh, just add such a fantastic, um, you know, uh, really cohesive kind of note here. I think, in as far as the mandolin is the glue that holds this band together, I think the, the harmonies also are are just as responsible for it, yeah. if not more so. Uh, and you get them right off the bat on Duncan and Brady, the first song, which is a fantastic choice uh, pulled pulled out of. The complete ether. I think there was a studio version of that included on Telltale Signs, which would come out eight years after this. But he had recorded it back in '93 or something like that. But uh, you know, very uh, classic Bob cover mindset there.
2: Is that yours? Sorry, I'm looking for my wife.
3: Um they come in on tears of rage and I think most notably for me, on "Blown in the Wind," the very last song on the entire show um, is a it just really takes that one to a whole new level. As far as I'm concerned, a song that I think for me personally at least really bores me very often. The way they put it together here with the two of them singing backing is incredible.
2: Before the
0: Yeah the I think I said this at the top that one of the things that I think is really special about this era of the band are the harmonies, oh, and and how you know, Charlie and Larry they're not just playing guitar. I mean Larry's all over the map. He's he was like the multi instrumentalist at this point, taking over like the Bucky Baxter role. In yeah, he'd he evolved into Bucky. But uh, yeah, the the harmonies are are are, are great, and um, you know Tears of Rage. On that mm-hmm. song, where where they're able to get that like you know Richard Manuel type vocal sound, uh, is it, so great. And I think we had Tears of Rage. We did, yeah in our in our ninety five show. And I think that was good. But this Tears of Rage, I thought was just outstanding. Um, and in Searching for a Soldier's Grave, oh, yep. that's great too. It's a knockout. Very
4: short and sweet. Well, yeah, it's just like a really tight and like it. It feels like a really great sort of elegant pull like it works well with the Duncan and Brady at the beginning which is you know a classic like murder ballad basically and then searching for a soldier's grave you you get some of that um I guess like that good as I've been to you flair of uh just these these kind of classic um pieces being brought out I have to say though that the next song after searching for a soldier's grave is obviously like I, I think I speak for everyone When I say that that's
3: O'Mealman. I mean, come on. That's like old saxophone jokes. Yeah, (laughs) you've heard the old saxophone joke. Uh, Songs that were were, uh, popular or uh, often played in this era of the tour and really never, you know, at no other times. Country Pie had its complete forever of all time Bob Dylan live debut in 2000. Wow. He did two sets the same day in Anaheim. That was the kickoff to the 2000 run of shows. And the second one of those shows included Country Pie for the first time and he played it basically like every show through 2000 and then it's kind of come here and here and there uh, or it went here and there uh, for the next like six seven years I think it hasn't been played since 2007 basically but this uh, this version kicks off the electric portion of this show which the way they arrange you know the songs and the sets is interesting and I want to talk about that at some point but uh, yeah I mean (laughs) you just put on country pie it's it's always always going to be a hit (laughs)
0: Yeah, Country Pie is great. That's a song, like you said, he played a lot at this time. Duncan and Brady, which we've talked about, he played forty-seven times in two thousand, and I don't think he's played it since. So it was often in that kick off the show slot, which is great. That's such a it's such a cool opener. He was often doing, um, you know, old time sort of gospel songs at the top of shows you know somebody touch me uh i am the man thomas songs of of that nature in this duncan and brady slots well there um you have song for woody that comes after that which is which is beautiful
2: I don't
1: in your world But the place isn't everything You're <laughs>
2: Seems sick
4: and it's a rip It's time and it's time When it's long It's time and it's time
3: and hard. Yeah, Song of Woody is a, a, a How many times has he played that? It seems like a rarity 53 First played September 6th 1961 Last played, May 8th, 2002. Um, the majority of these plays were either in 1989, 1990. That'll be an interesting run to talk about. And then a bunch during 2000, a little bit during 2001, and then just once on
0: 2002. As you all know, I burn these shows on CD. Yep. So you have this, you have Disc 1 and Disc 2. And typically Disc 2 is stronger. I think Disc 1 is... Stronger for me. Uh, the back half of the show is great too, but like the acoustic set and then the early part of the electric set, I think is uh, what's really happening here uh, for me. Um, I'm curious. Oh, well, we haven't mentioned this yet either. I mean, another song that is relatively rare but was kind of common in 2000 is uh, Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. Oh, which oh, yeah, uh, fantastic. fantastic! He's played 18 times total, but 11 of them were in 2000. So this was like a, another song. And look, I'm a John Wesley Harding head. I feel like we've had a lot of John Wesley Harding songs in the shows that we've talked about so far. Uh, yeah. yeah, well,
4: John Wesley Harding has taken on, I think, a much greater role from The Never Ending Tour. You could say filler, not in a bad way, but they they round out and fill out the, the set lists of so many of these shows. This is like a, a special treat, though.
0: Yeah. And how do you guys feel about this version? I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's
3: uh, probably my, if not the absolute highlight of this set, it's one of them, certainly. I mean, Franklin Lee is like, just the standard song for me is like one of my favorite Bob songs ever. Um, I think it's like, you know, easily top 10 material. Um, and um, and so anytime he pulls it out, I'm just tickled to hear it. There's an incredible version that he does with the dead on one of those, you know, 87 shows. Um, that's still kind of sloppy and, like, not exactly what, what it should sound like, although it still makes me, like, almost cry when I hear it. And this one, I think, is just so classically beautiful. Bob seems really into it vocally. Um, there's a sense of, like, a real sense of melancholy, I think, that he brings to this live cut in particular, just based on the way that he's able to enunciate and and lean into some of these lines that... Um, you don't get that as much, I don't at least, on the recorded version, which has got a little bit more of a nursery rhyme kind of silly, happy nature to it. Obviously, it still has that underneath the surface based on the story or whatever you want to call it that's related. But, um, I mean, this one really feels like heavy and weighty and, and, and real to me. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the, the way that the band is able to inhabit it, it's one of the stars of this acoustic set at the beginning is uh, exactly the way that I would want to hear it.
1: No one tries to say a thing When they carry that man in jail Except in custom and nevermore who carry him to rest And he just walked along alone With his guilt so wide and concealed Following underneath his breath Nothing is revealed Come on, hold on, all of this song Simply watch should never be where The world not belong So if you see a neighbor Telling something Help him with his youth I don't go Just thinking about it Not so far That overruns for
0: Yeah, I'll say that when I saw this song on the set list, I was like, I really want to talk about this show. That was one of the things that sold me on this show, because like you, I love that song. He hasn't played it very often. There is an element of me being irritated when I listen to this version, because the audience is talking a lot, Mm -hmm. and you can hear the audience, there's like a low hum of like chatter because it's not very loud you know so you can hear the audience so it's like shut the fuck up he's playing frankie lee and judas priest <laughs> oh they don't know this song
3: you, Most of
4: them i know they don't know. but
0: i'm like the lesh heads out there yeah it's like you, you it's like pearls before swine here yeah this is really shut the one the fuck of those up.
4: examples where it's like if you know the song then you're just like in attention. Raptor- i know that and if you were there, like you would just be like soy facing so hard like, <laughs> that's
3: right ah! uh, I've been doing that listening to it here
4: ah! but uh for most people, i mean like if you didn't know what the song was it would sound really inconsequential, and that is uh you know it's just what separates the um scholars the, the thoroughbreds from, yeah, the, from, uh, from the from the county uh,
3: fair ponies
4: yeah um it's uh it's an important inclusion here for us at never-ending stories.
3: Well, and especially where it shows up in the sequence right after Desolation Row, right before Tangled, which, like, those are fantastic. I, I love those, but just, uh, like you understand why the audience would like sort of sure. you know turn over and you know go get a beer or ask their sweet baby how they're doing when you're coming off of that one and then into the next one here if if you don't know what you're looking at
0: Oh I understand but still shut the fuck up he's playing yeah, Frankie Lee and Judas Priest <laughs> you cretins What did you guys think of the Desolation Row it's like a it's like a peppier desolation row you got drums yeah. in there
4: I was going to Say something about it for a later segment. Oh, um, okay. You know, when we talk about different versions of classic songs. Hmm. Okay. That segment.
0: Well, are we, do we have anything else that we want to uh, sing the praises of, or should we get to uh, Oh Mercy? What's...
4: I want to point out that we've got Things Have Changed, which I yes, just love to see. Yes, that's the first
3: appearance of that on the show so far.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, Things Have Changed, one of my very favorite, if not like, yeah, you know, top five Dylan songs ever. This is not, like, the best version of it, that, or my favorite version, but you can't go wrong with it. It's it's just great. You love to hear it. I love to hear it. I love that it's here.
3: This was the year, and this was the year that Things Have Changed came out on the Wonder Boys soundtrack. I think it came out, like, March 2000 or something. Yeah, so th- it's fresh. Yeah, this is the most recent song here, and really the only recent song in addition to Cold Irons, which is the only Time Out of Mind song that appears in this entire set. Everything else is a catalog song. Uh, Mm -hmm. which I found pretty interesting and is something I think I like about this show um, is it's got that kind of early mid nineties approach that he was taking in terms of set lists and sequencing where it's, he's not interested in, in what's happening, you know, at the moment he's, he's going back into the past, digging up some classics, reinterpreting them and pulling some, you know, other random ones out of the deep, deep cut section, the Frankie Lees, the songs to Woody and so on. Um, so he's doing that again here, but it's with a totally different musical approach, which is this kind of like time out of mind into Love and Theft classical acoustic Americana kind of sound as opposed to the heavy, hard J.J. Winston early mid-90s thing. Um, I don't know. It's just it's, it's fascinating to me to get this, this take on this set of songs, I think, um, at this moment in time because it's not something that you typically get.
4: I definitely felt the same way, and that it was um, it. It does sort sort of show you. I mean, Wick, where he is at this point, he's moving away from that time out of mind era uh, clearly, and into what would become the the true Jack Frost epoch, uh, which is kind of reflected in choices like this about what kind of material and how. And I again, I'll just point to the mandolin as being kind of like that's a Jack Frost touch. You know, there's something. That is more uh, roots based, more or more like connected to like a deeper past type feeling. Um, he's not trying to sound contemporary. It, it feels like he's finding that that sound that would be really the definitive of the early two thousands for his his music overall.
3: Yeah, he's in the process of traveling backwards through time here musically speaking. Like it, he he doesn't sound like a just a rock and roll band the way that he did like that L Ray 97 show. For most of this set there are moments of that, but you're starting to get that kind of sepia tone, you know, filter kind of thing as you put it. Uh, is it's poking out here and there. One of the things we love about
4: that era and about Dylan in general, but especially like the Love and Theft moment it could feel like museum piece, like, but it doesn't. It feels really natural to hear.
0: Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth noting that it is a you know a largely catalog show, as you said, but it's not a greatest hit show. You right, know, right, like like I right. said before, there's no Watchtower. There's no and A Women. There's uh you know there's no uh don't think oh well, there is don't think twice song. There's no it, <laughs> bad <it's>, example. <laughs> I was I was gonna say there's no it's all over now baby blue. Uh, It's not the kind of set that you would necessarily expect him to play in front of twenty thousand people, you know, right? Because this isn't his audience, or it's not just his audience. He's playing for people who Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. That might as well be a new song, you know, to them. Like they don't, they may, they probably don't know what Country Pie is. Uh, (laughs) They 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 probably don't know like a lot of these songs, you know, Down in the Flood. It's less obvious songs from his past, uh, and. It's, again, one of the great things about this show is that the set list, I think, is really interesting. And if you are a hardcore fan, you're going to be hearing stuff that you don't hear in a ton of live bootlegs. So that that was one of the real pleasures of, of this show for me. One more note, also just on the set list
3: and the way that this show is sequenced, which I think is interesting to remark on and maybe is representative of my overall feelings on something like this, is... Like, think about the 90s shows that we've talked about, right? They typically start electric, you've got this acoustic interlude there in the middle, then the band comes back in for the second half of the, you know, normal set, and then you get the encore, you maybe get one acoustic song, one rockin' song, and and, and he's out. And here, instead of going back and forth, you know, switching electric to acoustic to electric to acoustic, it's just, the, the show starts as an acoustic, you know, quote-unquote, sort of set. Um, there are no electric guitars, really. Uh, But it still sounds like a full band. And, you know, you think about those 90s shows and uh, things like Baby Blue or or Desolation Road. Then we're really just Bob and I think like a guitar player, like J.J. basically accompanying him on the acoustic. And Bob would have these big, long, um, verbose harp solos and stuff. There's no harp at all on this show. Um, But this one you've just got that acoustic, you know, the whole band is playing together at the beginning, the first six songs, I think, um, and so it sounds like a full band, you know, you've got the whole interplay of everyone, but it isn't It isn't too, like, heavy and rock, and and that, to me, is my favorite part of this whole set, is, is the way that band sounds and the songs that he packs into the acoustic set list, and I think as it goes on and the electric material comes more to the forefront, that's where my interest starts to to wane a little bit you know there are still obvious highlights towards the end of the show but um overall i think i found myself wanting just as much of that acoustic kind of set the songs that are included there and the way the band sounds together um uh, as much as possible throughout this whole show
0: i think we've been spoiled a little bit by cold irons bound because we've gotten that (laughs) a lot and it's always great but i'm in your camp where i'm less interested in that part of the of the show, and mm-hmm. maybe we just need to get away from Cold Irons Bound a little bit so we can reappreciate just how fire that song Absence is. Makes the heart
3: It is, for what it's worth, this version of Cold Irons Bound is like the ultra swag version that's included on the Fragments uh, live disc, where they the band drops completely out in between the guitar stabs, and it's just Kemper banging on the kit, and it's just Doomf
2: like Doomf it's Doomf yeah. I'm on Easter and I feel turn
1: around. I went to church on Sunday.
2: She passed by. i love for her. Taking such a long time to die.
3: i it sounds so badass, yeah. but, you know, you can only hear Cold Irons Bound so many times.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like if we hadn't heard a bunch of Cold Irons Bound lately, that we'd be jumping. We would have already mentioned that as an right. obvious highlight, but now it's sort of like, oh, well, the, uh, it's, a, it's an abundance of Cold Irons Bound riches that we've been uh, granted over time. Gold Irons Bound. Gold <laughs> Irons Bound. Uh, do we have any Old oh Mercy material? Oh Mercy.
3: Well, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm guessing. So, I'm, we'll see if everyone's <laughs> on the same wavelength here. I'm guessing the one that Evan and I uh, mind melded on this, and it, it sounds like you might have a zag on Stephen. Uh, if we're all thinking the same thing here, it would be the song that Bob introduces by claiming that it was written about some over the hill rock critic back then.
0: Uh, of with him, man. See, that wasn't what I. That wasn't what I thought you really? were going to say. Okay. Um, but I will say that this is a song that I've never really liked. Um because you're a rock critic. <laughs> well, I, actually I loved I love that he took a shot. Although I don't think that there were rock critics technically in 1965 yet. He, That's true. He, he would have been talking about someone that wrote for Newsweek or something. Right. It was uh, the type of
4: that type of guy always right, existed.
0: Right. Um But I actually so are you saying you don't like that song or you don't like this performance because i actually like the performance we don't like the song exactly okay
3: i think as far as performances of the song go this one is about as good as it's gonna get i think the pedal steel um uh really helps this come alive a little bit but you know it's still just like uh you know here we go (laughs) i know what i'm i know what i'm gonna get for the next seven minutes on this show when when that pops up
0: Yeah, it's just not my favorite Dylan. You know, the uh, I mean, I like some of his uh, Finger Wagon, like calling you out songs from the mid 60s. Yeah, I, I, I like Positively Fourth Street, for instance. Oh, yeah, but but uh, yeah, this song, uh, I've never, you know, there's certain live versions that are good, you know, like when he was playing with the, with the Hawks in '66, that angry thing on stage, I think it elevates Works the song. But yeah, uh, just generally, I, I, I'm not super psyched to hear this. Uh, but yeah, I thought you guys were going to say something else. Well, I'll the... say something else too. Okay, go ahead. Um, Maybe you'll say what I'm thinking.
4: Highway 61. I, I'm just going to say a lot of the time I'm like uh, I get I, I get sick of it easily unless it's like really. It, both those songs, especially with um, Ballad of Thin Man, it's like that song was necessary at one point in the sixties. And then I don't know how necessary it it ever was after, except for maybe a few points. Highway 61 is one that I think can be a lot of fun, but when it's not at its best, it is just kind of like, it feels like it reduces the song to a a blues riff vehicle. It doesn't really make it uh, come alive. This one's like, good but it 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 does have a little bit of like noodling at guitar center energy at certain points
3: I think as far as Highway 61 for me goes, this is this is as much as I could hope for. I think that, that riff is like really, really exciting. The you know, it, it is still not what I would want to hear as the penultimate track in the entire show, but knowing that he's got to get that in here somewhere, this one, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of um, the Serve Somebody that he's been playing for the last couple of years that has this more guitar forward. Blues noodling kind of riff to it. It's it's kind of fun to me.
4: I mean, it's fun. It's it's not bad. I I, I and I'm stretching too. I'm gonna maybe I'm doing uh, what you said, Stephen. Where I'm just gonna regret <laughs> saying this, but um, you
0: know. Well, no. I mean, i I I I get what you're saying. I I've been surprised by how much I've enjoyed the <laughs> Highway 61 revisiteds that we've been getting, uh, because I I'm generally. In Evans' camp, where I'm like, well, I, I, it's not right. really the song I I'm dying to hear Bob Dylan play, but we've we've had some good versions of that yeah. so far.
4: Yeah, I really like the last one we talked about.
0: I will take this over "Rainy Day Women." Oh yeah, R- fucking "Rainy Day, Day Women" <laughs> is uh, yeah, that's the worst.
4: Okay, I I want to say something here because I feel like I keep hearing this like more and more, more and more people are saying that "Rainy Day Women" is like a terrible song and they hate it and i never i don't i never feel that way about it because it's uh it's just it's just it's fine it's like silly It's not a
3: terrible song, but it's just like when you only got 15 songs to hear in a live show from Bob Dylan, that is always going to be like close to last in terms of my preferences.
4: I think of it as being like an exercise. When that happens, it's like liturgical. It's like he is playing the song now. I don't think of it as being positive or negative.
3: It's just something you got to do. It's like taking the Eucharist. It's
4: like the the, the orchestra is tuning up their instruments and you hear that sound. That's what it's like when he does that. It's just like, okay, like you got Okay.
0: I, I'd like to think that Bob somewhere was thinking I'm playing for this deadhead audience and they're going to love hearing rainy day women for obvious reasons.
4: I'm not sure I follow Stephen. What are you talking about? <laughs> and,
0: and, and Bob was just like, fuck that. I get enough of that at my own shows. It's going to be doubly worse <laughs> here. So I'm not going to play it. I'm not going to play that. Everybody must get stoned. Yeah. Song before Phil Lesh comes out. Like, I'm, I'm just not gonna do it.
4: That was wise of him, yeah. Uh,
0: so, so there's another song in the set that I thought maybe you guys would, would put in this slot because you're tired. Give it to it. us. Uh, well, I think I'm gonna say, uh, well, let's transition to the the Budokan category because I think this song can fit in Budokan. <laughs> Even though it doesn't obviously seem like it's been redone, Mm -hmm. but it's tangled up in blue. Interesting. This is a song that, just for me personally, that I've I've grown a little tired of. Wow. Uh, Musically, I mean, just hearing it live. Like, I love the original song, obviously, but just hearing it in a set, it superficially doesn't seem like it changes very much. And then, of, of course, I remembered that this is a song that is constantly evolving lyrically. And you can go online, and you can see all the different, uh, you know, lyrical changes that Bob has made over the years. There's the famous version on Real Live.
2: Radio blast in the news, straight on through, in blue.
0: Radio blast in the news. We're gonna to have to talk about Real Live at some point Absolutely. on the show because I love that album. That's a famous rewrite. But in this Tangle Up in Blue, there actually are different lyrics mm-hmm. in this one that I know. I don't. Did you guys notice that at all? I
3: got one down, yeah. There, there's Because this was also becoming my Budokan moment when I realized that there wasn't a whole lot musically in terms of a reinvention. So lyrically, I think, was going to have to be the way to go. He's got working on a fishing boat while his mind was slipping away uh, instead of working on a fishing boat right outside of Delacroix. There's a couple right. others also, but I haven't cataloged all of them.
0: It, there's a thing right before that too, where he says, "Drifting down to New Orleans, working night and day, right, working on a fishing boat while his mind was slipping away, Mine's slipping away." Yeah. So I just thought, oh, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I, that, I, you know, so that, so I was curious to see if you guys would talk about that just being a song that maybe feels a little tired otherwise musically.
4: It doesn't have like like some other songs do. This kind of infinite replayability for me um, as much. For one that gets played as often as it does, I think it, it gets a little bit like uh, predictable. But I will say that this version of it, I liked the breezy pace for that reason. Um, I appreciate when he kind of treats the song with a little bit more pep. Yeah, this is a real toe tapper. <laughs>
2: He
1: kept her out of the jam, I guess. He used a little too much
2: force. And the road that time as long as it could. A man in an a nightmare. spinning up on a dumb settler. Only reading his face. He turned around and looked at her. She was walking away. Saying over her shoulder, We're going to meet again someday. On the evening.
4: Yeah, that and that and Desolation Row, which is my pick. Spoiler, those have that in common, and I really liked that about his approach for them here because they have that, uh, like you said, it's it's an acoustic band playing, but it doesn't. It wouldn't occur. To, it didn't occur to me really that it was because the the drums are so present and yeah, got the, drums, the energy got the is so high and so yeah, it really like walks along at this brisk pace. Um, And so as for the uh, offending, uh, I don't think that "Tingle" Up in Blue is so bad here uh, as far as that kind of uh, what it can be sometimes, which might feel a little like a slog, but uh, no. I know what you mean, though, Stephen. That's my... Yeah,
0: Yeah, and again, I think with that song... um it is that nerdy obsession with the lyrics and and him doing little different things with with the words, which are, there's more dramatic, uh, you know, instances of that than what you get here. But it was, I was like the third or fourth time listening to it. And I was like, oh wait, you know, I'm going to, I should like really listen to what he's singing here and see if it's different. And so that's, that's a, that's an interesting thing, I think. Totally. Uh, So Budokan, not musically, but lyrically uh, for me with, with Tangled Up a Blue. Is that, was that your choice too, Ian?
3: Yeah. I mean, that was it kind of by default. Um, cause I didn't, like I said, have a really great pick. Otherwise I get, I mean, I guess Frankie Lee and Judas Priest sort of just kind of by default or song to Woody again, by default, just songs that sound radically different from the way they were recorded, but there aren't a ton of live versions circulating to chart the changes made. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I think the lyrics on Tangled are what make it more different than anything else here. Uh, on that note, though, I, I will just say, like, for my money, I'm always stoked to hear Tangled. Like, there, for I've come to realize that there's, like, kind of a clear, like, two sets of songs, like, catalog songs, like, songs that I will always be happy to hear regardless of how many times I've heard them. And Tangled is in that, in that column, clearly, along with, like, It's All Over Now Baby Blue, uh, Like a Rolling Stone, um desolation row things like that and then there's also a column of catalog songs that i'm never happy to hear (laughs) and that that's watchtower that's thin man that's uh that's rainy day women and then there are other songs that kind of live somewhere in between those two columns where like sometimes i'm stoked to hear them sometimes maybe not and that's like it ain't me babe that's um highway 61 revisited that's blown in the wind which we got here um, you know, it uh, I, I this is not something that I'm like consciously creating for myself, but thinking about the deep catalog, you know, kind of classics, it's pretty easy for me to sort like a song I've heard a thousand times into stoked, want to hear it, opposite of that, or you know, it depends. I don't know if you guys have that same kind of feeling,
0: yeah. I, 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 I would put Desolation Row in that like catalog song that I'm always excited to hear, and that's an even longer song, yeah, than Tangled Up in Blue, but that. There are days when, when when that's my favorite Bob Dylan song of all time. And so I, I always love hearing that. And again, like, I don't want to knock Tangled Up in Blue. Tangle, it's a brilliant song. It's Tangled Up and song. Blue. But, uh, you know, that is a song that comes up more often than not. And it's come up in a lot of the shows that we've talked about already. So if you're going to be picky about the set list thing, uh, you know, that might be something that I was just feeling for myself. I'm like, oh, like. It's easy for my mind to sort of glaze over sure. a song like that sometimes, and it wasn't until I actually snapped myself to attention that I realized, like, wow, this is actually—it's not just the same old song. There's so going Bob, on. so Bob schooled me yet again.
3: You rock critics—you don't know anything.
0: Yeah, <laughs> something's over happening here. Hell. You don't know what it is. Uh, one other just
3: oh mercy moment uh, before we get we still in oh mercy. By that. Well, okay. we've kind of segued between that into Budokan. I just want to shout out. Leopard skin pillbox hat. Don't need it. Uh you know, that that is a complete inessential kind of moment on this uh this show as far as I'm concerned. And th- like that area in the set list I think is where the Love and Theft songs are going to come in and start to fill the void, these, like, rockin' blues, you know, vamps, uh, things like Honest With Me yeah. uh, or Lonesome Day Blues over the Lonesome next few Lonesome Day Blues.
4: It, this sounds like Lonesome Day Blues. Exa- kind of I would
3: it. so much rather hear
0: Lonesome Day yeah. Blues or Honest With Me than, than Leopard Skin Pillbox hat. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's, that's a really good observation. I think that, that that's dead on. Well, one thing I wanted to say for Budokan, and this is maybe sort of a weird choice, but I actually feel like Tears of Rage stands out to me because it's the live version that sounds the most like the record that I've ever heard. Sounds that. most like, like the basement tape yeah. version. Yeah. Interesting.
4: You just pulled a reverse Budokan <laughs> The rare reverse
0: Budokan. It's a and ref- It's a Budokan as far as other live versions of that song sure. okay. are concerned. Sure, okay. Wow, this is a very again, advanced conception. Yeah, wow. it's, Well, we've coined that. It's the reverse Budokan. Yes. <laughs> It'd be like if uh, Bob played All Along the Watchtower, like the record. The Joan Wesley was Harding Jimmy, version, sure, absolutely. You know, that would be the ultimate, because that's like the ultimate reverse Budokan as far as I'm concerned. Because yeah. I, I, I always wish he would play it acoustically and not just the bombastic, electric... I mean, I like the Hendrix version, but... I miss he, he never does it the way he did it originally. Right. Uh, but but the, again, those harmonies are so great and they're so reminiscent of like the band and uh that it it, that's like one of my favorite moments of this show i I love that performance so a reverse budokan for uh for tears of rage it's quite good i
3: it really is um
0: you have any any comments to lodge about richard Manuel
3: today no
4: i just i think uh i've liked these songs (laughs) i like that song more lately when we've listened to it in the uh these shows than I ever did just listening to it on record um, for some reason. I don't know. I just...
3: Whatever. I, no, I mean, I you're think... not going to bait me. No. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm glad you didn't take it. Hey, uh, it's... let's
0: let's maintain the peace, man. We 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 are we, having a peaceful show here. Yeah. We don't yeah, need I was. To, uh... I
3: was. That was. That was purely me. I was dangling a big, you know, piece of red meat over the over the zoo enclosure that Evan is stalking around in, and he, no, for his part, did not try to it. leap up and break out of his cage.
4: No, I'll just say that I think that song shines out of the context of that, like you know, huge. Bunch of songs with the band. Like, I like hearing it on its own. It, it reminds me of how it's a just a stand-on-its-own great uh, song.
3: The one other thing I would drop into the Budokan section, just on uh, uh, the note of original versions that are being reinterpreted with this set of players and and the singing is blown in the wind I think which oh, yeah, has the, the best such harmonies a, on the whole physical. Yeah, I mean the harmonies which we talked about already a little bit but it um I mean it's a really extraordinary effect that I think really gives this song so much more. This is this is one of the songs that's in that middle column between always stoked to hear it or never stoked to hear it. It's like usually I would say I'm not but the way that he involves the whole band here and uh, and Larry and Charlie singing behind him, and it's got kind of a different melody. Even um, at certain points,
0: it. But um, I, I love this. Yeah, it really um, highlights the anthemic nature of that song. Exactly, which I think is the most powerful. You know, that sing along uh, aspect to it, and because you have Larry and Charlie just lifting that chorus, it really drives that home. Like it's you huge. feel like you feel like the audience was probably arm in arm you know singing that together
4: with a song like that that iconic you have to either fully embrace its sort of um national anthem status or it it can risk it can run the risk of feeling like just sort of chumming the water for the for the slop in the hogs like it's kind of like right yeah he's gonna play that Yeah, it's one that
3: could have been like rainy day women here for the whole crowd of fucking deadheads to you know smoke up good uh, and and hoot and holler, but it comes off as so much more than that, based purely on the um, you know the way that the band's able to put it across. Desolation Row, I have
4: to—we're in Budokan moment. I gotta say, Desolation Row is my pick. Because am I alone here?
1: The postcards of the men. Yeah. The has passports brown. Pity pilots feel the sailors. The circus is in town. They've got the blind commissioner. They've got him in a tank. One hand is tied to the top of the wall. the other is in his path And the line looks called the rest is They need somewhere to go As a lady and I look out for down the road Desolation on the wall Cinderella, she seems so easy
2: Takes do to
1: know when she's smart I had back my head. Then it is this time. And come along, you always move it. You belong to me, I believe. Summer turns in the center in the long room, my friend. You better hurry, hurry, hurry.
2: Sleeping them This is a
1: little
2: shine oh. The moon is
1: The are to fly The Is taking all the babies inside All except for the anymore.
2: Back on the road for Everyone is either making love Or is expecting rain And I think some of the This person is getting ready Put it on the show Is not really fun to work
0: No, no, I'm with you.
3: Based on
4: what well, I was just talking about a little bit earlier about like the way that he does tangled um I think it's more dramatic with Desolation Row, uh the way that he just the pace of it and just like the the clip at which it's performed, the, it has this really off the cuff uh execution that's kind of rare for the song. Um mm. and uh even the one on like my favorite version is probably the one from MTV Unplugged and um even that one is as great as it is um it's just, it's different i mean this one just is so breezy is the word i keep saying when it comes to so much of the show but i really like that it's treated with the kind of like it's not so precious and it still works
3: yeah, yeah playing into the third slot in the show I think is interesting. Uh in the same way I think that we talked about like Watchtower was on the third third slot for the last show, Desolation Row usually seems like one that he builds up to, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's an epic, it's a all-timer. And so just dropping it here right after fucking Duncan and Brady and song to Woody. It's like a really kind of unexpected move, I think. And I, I, it, it makes it a really interesting listen to me.
4: Yeah. He he yeah. leans into the aspect of the song that has like lines, like, you know, they're getting ready for the show. Uh, it kind of has moments that I think he emphasizes that uh, make you see the song as, uh, Oh, like it, it's like got flexibility within it. Like you can use it in so many different ways.
0: Tangled Up in Blue is this like life on the road type song, and it has that momentum throughout. Anytime you hear that song, it has that—you feel like you're on a journey with him. And with Desolation Row, it did occur to me—I never really thought of it that way necessarily, but it—that's a similar kind of song where mm. you're on this journey with him. It's just that Desolation Row sometimes feels like more like a dirge, and this is more of like. Yeah, like this epic story song. So, yeah, that was... I, I had that, too, listed under Budokan. Uh, it wasn't my first choice, but it was definitely in the running for me.
3: Yeah, I think that makes sense. What do you guys think about the doorknob in Desolation Realm? I received your letter yesterday about the time the doorknob broke. Is, it, is, is, it, is the letter about... Is the letter regarding the doorknob breaking at one point, or is he receiving We've the letter at the same time? We're going over it again because Steven hasn't given his answer. Um,
0: I think it's uh, simultaneous. Oh, wow! Think, All right, he's living in both worlds. Well, no, I don't. No, I no. What I mean is, is that I think he received the letter at the same time that the doorknob broke. Oh, I, see. I don't think that got it. I don't think. I don't think that the letter is about the doorknob. You don't breaking. think the letter is about the doorknob? That's how. That's how I've always heard the song. Interesting. Th- this idea of like. You know, and now we're going to get, you know, it's English lit professor type territory. I don't want to get too analytical with lyrics, especially with that song. But I mean, you that's know, the most yeah.
3: important thing to decode in the entire discography.
0: The idea of getting this missive and then being trapped, you know, that it, it, it is, it, it has like an apocalyptic type vibe to it. You sure. know The door not breaking, you can't escape. I don't. It wouldn't make any sense. Well, I guess it doesn't have to make sense. But to me, <laughs> it's, just, it, it's also it's just less compelling if it's a letter about a doorknob breaking.
3: I to like me. to believe that it is about a doorknob breaking. And it's just like, <laughs> I, I got this letter and you're writing me about a doorknob breaking. Like, what what the fuck do I give a shit for? Uh, we got to get uh, Clinton's uh, Clinton's take on that. I'm sure he's delivered some long and detailed answer as to which one is correct. Watch Tower Watch. Already hit it, Nail. No. No watchtower. Watch Chalk one up. No. Is this the first watchtower-free show that we've had? No, we had one other one. Uh, I think one of the first two was no watchtower. Uh, okay. I think the '97 show was no watchtower, but everything else has been watchtower. So it's it's what it's four four yes watchtowers versus two no watchtowers. Now we gotta we gotta keep track of that. See that see sounds which side's about linen. right.
0: Yeah, we should. That should be part of that segment. We should have a score.
3: Just keep the keep the tally running. All right. So two so, no watchtowers, four yes watchtowers. Um, Bob talk talking. Yeah. We are also already kind of talked about uh, him laughing, claiming yeah. that uh, Thin Man was written about some over the hill rock critic, and then a few minutes second, seconds later, he just says, "I'm just kidding, just having fun." Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: He's um, like, you know, there's probably some music critics in the audience reviewing this show. Yes. I want to stay in their good graces. <laughs> Although I did read again on Bob Link's reading uh, the uh, fan reviews. Apparently, the Boston Globe reviewed this show and didn't give it a good review they, they panned it well i, I don't know i'm ba- this is like you know hearsay i didn't i, I tried to find the review and uh, actually i should have gone on newspapers.com oh, that's a i would have found it there but uh according to this person uh the boston globe critic loved phil lesh and thought oh. bob was ho was ho-hum so rude i don't know so maybe the critic heard bell, bell of a thin man and was like. Oh, yeah? We'll see who gets the last word. Yeah, fuck this guy. Here, Bob. <laughs> the other
3: bit of uh, talk that I love uh, is the guy shouting for Everything is Broken after Crash <laughs> on the Levee. Not a Bob, not Bob talking, just audience talk, but yeah. such an insanely specific song choice. Would have been fun to hear. Everything's broken. I would have taken that over some of the songs on here. Play that instead of uh, Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat, but buddy, you're not getting that one. I, I never know what is going through people's heads when they do that. If they actually think it's going to influence someone to play that song, or if they're just trying to hoot and holler.
0: I think uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, the uh, blonde-haired blues guitarist, he had a hit with that song. With everything is broken. He did an FM radio, you know, like I don't know. In your town, you had the FM station that would play Kenny Wayne Chip, Kenny Wayne Shepherd songs in between like Journey and Led Zeppelin tunes. You know, like one, one, like one hundred eight point seven, the Bear. You know, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, like it, was, like it wasn't a hit anywhere outside of like stations called the Bear or the Eagle, or you know where you got like the morning show where it's like it's Buzz and Cooter, right? Uh, you know that kind of station, but. uh yeah, Kenny Wayne Shepherd had a hit with Everything is Broken in 97. Good Lord. So, so, so maybe that was a Kenny Wayne fan. In the I love the idea that you're going into a Dylan show, and it's like success or failure is determined on whether he plays Everything is Broken. Broken. <laughs> Every, everything will be literally broken if he doesn't play that song. Uh, yeah, I like I that part too. And again, shout out to the guy looking for his wife during uh, Duncan and Brady. Uh, we hope he's. If you're listening to the show, the guy who couldn't find his wife, reach out to Let us. Let us know. Did you find your wife? Yeah, well, I want to find out the resolution of that. That's like the one mystery hanging over this show. I hope he uh, found his wife. It's fascinating. Uh, 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 road not road not known. God, I'm yeah. looking up
3: uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd because I don't know about you, Evan. This is a person that I have never heard of. Uh, before. this is Steve- why you had me on. S- Steven's just dropping these like absolute like
0: unane uh, uh, <laughs> bits of early mid '90s music yep. trivia. Because uh, it was that run in the in the '90s where you had like Caucasian blonde male blues <laughs> gods, you know? Because you had Kenny Wayne Shepherd, you had Johnny Lang. He was another one of those guys. And there's a few others. I, I mean, love Derek Trucks the- is sort of in there, but he's like the most respectable of that uh, subgenre, genre blues guitarist. Uh, but yeah, this, I've, there's got to be some listeners out there, some Kenny Wayne heads. Reach out to us on the Patreon. We want to hear from you. Just last year, he re-released a re-recording of his sophomore
3: album for its twenty-fifth anniversary, which includes a never before heard cover of Bob Dylan's Ballad of a Thin Man, which was played oh, at this sh- it's all coming, it's all full oh, circle. Man. <laughs>
0: we'll, we, we'll, we'll do a bonus up on Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Okay. Got, you we, can we do gotta, a bonus
3: up on Kenny Wayne Shepherd.
0: I'll do a I'll do a solo, uh, never any stories. <laughs> uh, now my favorite part of the episode mm. is where we share our our bootleg title. Bootleg title. Bootleg. I got a good one. You guys have one? Yeah, I have
3: one. All right. Lay on me. Well, you want me to go first? Do you have one, Evan? Give me a second. All right. I can take, I can take the first one here. Inhabiting, again, the mindset of our beautiful bootleggers out there uh, in Bob Country. We're trying to think up something interesting with the place. We're trying to think up a song that is included in the set and the stupidest possible way to put them together into a title. See where, this, see where this show took place, folks? Tweeter Center for the Performing Arts in Mansfield, um, Massachusetts. Okay. There's a Bob Dylan song with the word tweeter in it. I'm going for tweeter and the thin man, not tweeter oh. and the monkey man. That's tweeter and the thin man.
0: All right. Boom. That's, that's pretty stupid, but I think, I, I think mine is stupider than that. Mine is Frankie Lesh. And Bobby Priest, <laughs> wow! You guys damn, are one, You're bringing the heat, right now. wow! Uh, um, uh, I'm
4: telling you, I'm telling you. Um, you could. Uh, how about Duncan and Woody? Okay, <laughs> that's that's one you could do. You could also do, um, uh, searching for a soldier's tape.
0: <laughs> oh man. Oh, Um, man.
4: uh, uh, I'm trying to think
3: of what's another. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys kind of covered the basis, really. What was it? Wait, hang on. Do you have
0: to make it Frankie Lesh and Bobby Priest? Yeah, that's mine. That's beautiful. You could put the ballad in front of it, but I kind of just like having it without the ballad. Just make it Frankie Lesh and Bobby Priest. Bobby Priest. Man, Bobby (laughs) Priest. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say that. I, I cringe myself when I read that. Like I'm slightly embarrassed to uh <laughs> have shared that, which is wh- how I know it's a winner. Uh. Man, now I'm
3: just thinking like, what if they had played Tweeter and the Monkey Man at this show? See, I, I thought you were yeah. Why would
4: why would they? <laughs> <'Cause> it's, <laughs> it's at the well, I know center you all like this. Uh, I, I got something special for you. Uh because this is the, the Tweeter Center. We're gonna play uh of a, a song with that in the title. That's my <laughs> impression of Bob Dylan today. Two thousand era Bob Dylan. I'm gonna
3: were, play a song. Any of the Wilbur- Did anyone ever play any of the Wilburys songs live? Because obviously they talked about touring, but never actually got on the road and did it. But like, did anyone ever play like "Handle with Care" or "Dirty World" or "End of the Line" or anything? I don't know. No, I don't know I think Bob? That. I think Bob, Bob did play that. Bob wasn't in that band. Right. That's right. It was Lucky Wilbury. How could I forget? I do think Bob played Congratulations, actually, at one point in, uh, at some point in the last whenever, however many years it's been since that song came out. Everyone's favorite Wilbury song, Congratulations.
2: Right.
0: I I was just going to say, Tweeter and the Monkey Man, I looked this up, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers have played that 31 times. Really? Really? Yeah, I got to track that wow, down. Wow, that
3: sounds yeah. like extremely your shit. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers oh. doing Bob Dylan's Twitter. Wilburys song that is an imitation of a Springsteen song. Yeah,
0: that, it, it looks like Jason Isbell has played it once. Wow. He played it in 2016 at Dylan's 75th Birthday Fest. That's a great pick. <laughs> so like, it was like a thing at the Ryman. He played Tweeter and the Monkey Man. <laughs> good good for Jason Isbell on that. But yeah, I'm definitely tracking down a uh Tom Petty uh, Tweeter and the Monkey Tweeting Man. the Monkey Man. Wait, wait, hold it. he played it. I'm sorry, I'm totally going off track here. He played it at a show that I think I was at. I don't remember that. Petty did? Yeah, wow. and, uh, for shame you don't remember him playing Twitter remember. and the Monkey Man for you. I must, have, <laughs> I must have not have been at that show. I would have remembered that. That seems like something a, that would have been stenciled into your brain. It was at a summer fest in Milwaukee in 2013. That was like right around the time I but I I must have I must have missed that. Because yeah. Anyway, we're going off the rails here. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. We Evan, did. you don't
0: like wait, wait, Evan, you don't like Twitter and the Monkey Man, right? You like you hate that song?
4: Well, I mean, like do you like that song? Do you actually I love, like that? I think song? it's great. Yeah. It's dog shit, <laughs> yeah, I, but you know, it's like fun, you know. <laughs> And the walls came down. That's right. Uh, All the way to hell. Throw up a poll about
0: this on the Patreon. I want to get the consensus out there.
4: The answer is yes. I I love that record. (laughs) I I mean, I think that
0: album's great. I I wouldn't change a thing. But like, you think it's dog shit though? That song. You think that song is dog shit? I
4: don't know. I like McDonald's. Doesn't mean I think it's like good for me.
0: (laughs) I want to take the pulse of our listeners. uh, How they where they stand on tweeter and the monkey man and we should do a bonus up on that too maybe i'll track down i'll chat we're gonna do a tom petty tweeter and the monkey man show at some point just all 31 versions of tweeter and the monkey man from the petty (laughs) catalog yeah that Uh,
3: song is just uh, like
4: it's like velveeta it's just like processed cheese like that song is like you know
3: no it's not i just had some velveeta some queso for the super bowl last week and that's good stuff brother yeah sure i'm not saying it's not fact checking myself here also bob has played congratulations three times the last time january 12th 1990 at Toads, a show that we're absolutely going to get to. Toads is going
4: to be like such an epic, oh, the longest
3: heck. show in his entire uh, history, which includes all of your favorites from Lenny Bruce to Wiggle Wiggle to Congratulations to P- Political World to Tight Connection to My Heart <laughs> wow. to Dancing in the Dark <laughs> and Live at Toads. So
0: that's that's on the schedule, and the Tom Petty bonus episode, his cover of Tweeter the Monkey Man. That's another. We have all these great shows on the schedule stay tuned and the kenny wayne shepherd <laughs> steven solo monologue we'll, we'll do my, we'll do, my so we'll do like my spaulding gray one-man show on kenny wayne shepherd <laughs> episode it'll be great um
4: i want to see that i like spaulding gray that's, that's a good <laughs>
3: poll early, early roman king yes i got a i got a, a zag here i don't know about you guys I mean, the whole band is an early Roman king, as far as I'm concerned, because I think everyone is killing it. I'm I'm gonna go with Bob on this one, Bob Dylan, the acoustic guitar player, to me here specifically, because he, as we talked about, there is no harp, right? There is no like solo Bob coming out and just being accompanied by like JJ on the acoustic and doing his you know two man show game in the middle of it. It's all the band together, but Bob playing. The acoustic guitar, and you can look up pictures from Bob, or from, you know, 2000, and he's always up front stage, got a little pencil mustache, and got the acoustic with him. I think he's killing it here, and it lends these shows or these songs a really distinct, unique flavor, at least, of the shows that we've talked about so far. Um, and, uh, you know, he, it's got a little bit of that latter-day piano energy where he's kind of plonking. He's not a very delicate guitar player at this moment in time, but it uh it gives it a really raw and real emotional resonance to me. And uh it's not something that uh that you usually get too much. It's usually either Bob on the electric kind of down in the mix or Bob on the piano or Bob just kind of singing. But here like as an acoustic player, he's really leading the band, I think. And uh it it meshes really well with Larry and Charlie
0: kind of soaring like beautiful eagles behind him. Yes. I mean, Bob is an early Roman king. I'm not going to do a disagree with that, but I'm going to go with the obvious choice here. I'm going to say Larry Kemp. Larry and Charlie. I'm going to say both yeah. because of the harmonies. The harmonies to me um, really make this show. I, I, and it's the thing that separates it from the other shows we've talked about so far. It's one of the things that I think distinguishes this era. And it's part of why I love this era. Just those two as a team, I think, it was so magical. So I'll go with Larry and Charlie. Larry and Charlie. Splitting the trophy. Do you have a choice, Evan? Well,
4: I I kind of agree. I I basically was going to say somewhere between Larry and the uh, mandolin and also... But it's got to be Larry and Charlie and the harmonies too. So yeah, that that section of the band here is really what I think is definitive of it. Also, I, I wanted to point out that there's a really... Close connection here, a tight connection between this and the sound that you get on the uh, Mastin Anonymous soundtrack and those videos of them playing. I think they even play Cold Irons Bound in that.
3: And they. That's the, like, kind of the whole climax of the movie. That performance of uh, Cold Irons that, like, is broadcast over the waves to the. Saves the world. (laughs) Exactly.
4: Uh, And uh, there's (laughs) also, I believe, there's a. you know, there's all these recordings that you can find that are kind of like snippets of them doing other songs. But there's also, of course, Dixie, which is really uh, a similar mode, if not the exact same mode yeah, that they're in right. there. The as whole acoustic band
2: together. And
3: the Dime- harmonies. Diamond Joe. Diamond Joe.
4: Diamond Joe. That <laughs> Diamond, <laughs> Diamond Joe is, <laughs> that Diamond Diamond Joe Joe. is like my, one of my favorite recordings. <laughs> of, uh, uh, I love that Diamond Joe.
2: Diamond Joe, come and get me my work
1: done with me.
0: Are we gonna um, do a 20th anniversary <laughs> Master Anonymous? I think we, we have to. I, yeah, well, I know you guys already talked about that, but you know,
4: hopefully we can make it as good as it can possibly be.
3: Yeah, we're, we're waiting on that. Uh
4: but the um yeah, they I almost I wish there was another category here that we're just for the just so I wanna make something up just so I could have a who's the diamond joe of the show, but I don't know what that would mean.
3: <laughs> I think the diamond joe is the early Roman king.
4: Yeah, I, I'm just going to start. Call, it's my, it's Diamond, Diamond Joe. Interchangeable okay. term. <laughs> right. Who's Diamond about,
0: Joe? Like Diamond Joe presents early Roman Kings. There so you we go. We can get some sort of like branding because I want to get Diamond Joe in there too.
3: Well, how about, I mean, Diamond
0: Joe, Diamond, that's as, that's as good as it
3: gets, folks. So like typically it's an early <laughs> Roman King, but if it's really kind of like just one of the all time, like very special, most incredible moments... You get graduated from yeah. early
0: Roman king to diamond Joe. Yeah, <laughs> or or Say maybe it with that's part of the Joe. <laughs> maybe that's part of the rating system. like the, 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 the rare diamond. Let's Joe. not get into this. <laughs> oh, okay. Three stars well,
4: and a diamond Joe. Three stars and a diamond Joe, a diamond Joe. No, if you get, if you, that's what you get instead of the Oscar um, on Never Ending Stories, is You get a, it's made out of diamond. Diamond, it's, yeah. It's
3: Joe. It's just a face of Joe Biden. It carved into diamond. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what are, what are we rating this show? Um, I was coming in prepared to give it a two, but I think talking about it and listening to it in the headphones and just having a grand old time with you guys here, I think it's a three star for me. I'm not. I'm not uh,
0: finding anything to uh, to really pick nits on. I'm going to say two personally. Wow! And uh, and for the parentheses fans out there, <laughs> add a half star in parentheses. Uh,
4: my it. my audio just cut out, uh, so I couldn't <laughs> hear what you said. Um, I I think I give it um, a two stars, and I think between the three of us, that's really um, it's for the listeners to look at holistically. It's like a panel. Like actually, what we have here is there's two there's uh three seven that's start, start. right that's
3: total that's impressive math skills
4: see i put the, well i was trying to I, I was thinking maybe there was more than that but actually no there's nope, no way enough. that there's more than that uh <laughs> at all so uh yeah i mean it, it i also can see why you would give it three because um I mean, look at it's the like, set list. What, what Duncan do? and
3: Brady, Song to Woody, Desolation Row, Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, Tangled Up in Blue, Searching for a Soldier's Grave, Country Pie. Sure. That's just the first seven-song run. you like, come on. It doesn't well, get better I, than that.
4: I, I don't know. For me, there, it's lacking this like extra... There's an X factor that I've seen even in other shows from around this period, uh, from 2000, which is why I'm excited to keep mining that territory in the future, because um, as good as this is, I think there's... There's even higher uh, uh, levels. Uh, there's more diamonds in the in Joe's mind. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think you know it, it's a brilliant show. Again, I picked it, so I love this show. I think it flags a little bit in like the middle section of the second disc, where it, you have that tears of rage, and then you get uh, I think Skin pillbox hat comes after that. Basically, that stretch before the encore, right? where it flags a little bit so that's why in parentheses I have, a, I have the half star uh, if not for that section I, I might have gone with the full three but it, for those who don't subscribe to the parentheses system the two star I think is a fair score that's fair enough
3: well there you have it folks enjoy Bob Dylan at tweeter center for the performing arts on uh, uh, what was it again <laughs> Frankie Lesh and Bobby Priest um, and join us uh, next week if you care to for our bonus episode this week as part of the Neverending Digest newsletter release. We're gonna hop, skip, and jump down from Massachusetts to Virginia, uh, and um, I'm trying to think of uh, as it's it's and visit our cousin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, we're gonna haul Boss Crude right down the East Coast of the United States and check in on her uh, on never-ending stories. Steely Dan, <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare miss it.